Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This is the Yahoo Sports NBA Podcast. Hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring in Eric Spolstra. To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes. All right, welcome into the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast. Glad you could join me uh, this week. The post-NBA trade deadline edition uh, of the podcast. We've had a few days to kind of digest everything, see some of these uh, early deals and how they panned out in the first couple of games. And uh, now we kind of look forward to the last uh, third of the season to join me to talk about that and many other things. We're the best NBA writers out there. Sam Amick does a tremendous job over at USA Today, and he joins me here on the podcast. What's happening, Sam? Mr. Mannix, thank you for having me. Nice to hear your voice. And uh, it's crazy. I think you probably agree just how this year's flown by and how this all-star break, you know, this is not even close to a halfway point, man. We're getting near the end here. I know. It all, well, first of all, the all-star break is like a faux mid-season point. It's actually like two-thirds I mean, yeah. Yeah, two of the season through by the time we get uh, to the all-star break. But, you know, we, at least we had the trade deadline um you know, a couple of weeks early. I, I, I found, to Sam, that teams like that, uh, the ones I talked to, they, they like the trade deadline being uh, moved up a little bit. What was your perception of uh, from, from teams about the trade deadline being moved up to February 8th? I didn't hear any complaints. I mean, the one thought that I would love to get clarity on and talk to more people about is that you, you know, occasionally hear that idea that All-Star Weekend becomes, like the human condition comes into play, right? Where, like, executives in the same place physically talking in person maybe facilitates, you know, more creativity and more deals that get discussed and maybe a different trade deadline. Uh, you know, in a, you know, conceptually, I get that. I just wonder if GMs and execs actually agree with that. I mean, we had plenty of fireworks, obviously, and we're going to get into that. But that would be my only thought is I always found it funny that, like, at All-Star Weekend, whether it was New Orleans, where Del Demps is talking to Vladi Divots about DeMarcus Cousins, and they're pulling the trigger on that deal in the middle of the All-Star Weekend chaos. You know, is that factor something that matters to the front offices? I don't really know. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. A couple of themes I want to get to uh, before we dive into specific teams there. One was that the the stranglehold, Sam, on first-round picks, is that's not unusual, but it seemed like this year teams kept a pretty tight grip on or a tighter grip on first-round picks than than usual. You had a few move or a couple move before the, the day of the deadline. Blake Griffin obviously fetched a first-round pick uh, from Detroit. Nikola Miritich uh, from New Orleans, and then on uh, deadline day, you had the Cavaliers shipping one out in the uh, the Laker deal. All three of those teams kind of share somewhat of a common thread. Detroit moved one because Detroit's kind of desperate. They don't have a lot of flexibilities and to, to get another star. They did it for Blake Griffin. New Orleans, right. they're in a bit of a, a tight spot, too, because they have to keep building that team around Anthony Davis, in part to keep Anthony Davis happy. Same kind of situation, I think, with the Cavaliers and you got LeBron. You got to keep, you know, fleshing that team out. So you're willing to work uh, with a first round pick as as a trade bait. But every other team was either demanding a first round pick or refusing to give up first round pick. What did you make of the the lack of a first round pick movement in this uh, this deadline? No, I mean it was super interesting. I think you're making really good points there. <clears throat> you, know, you think about the Clippers with Lou Williams and the fact that you know all throughout the year they are assuming incorrectly that there would be multiple first-round pick offers waiting for them when the trade deadline came around. And specifically, they were hoping they could grab one of the Cavs' picks. I mean, certainly for Lou, they were not pushing for the Brooklyn pick, but they wanted Cleveland's late first for Lou Williams, and they end up holding on to him signing that extension. Tyreek Evans doesn't go anywhere in Memphis. That's directly related to their inability to get a first for him. I mean, from people I've talked to, it's not much more complicated than the fact that, for one, you've only got – six teams with cap space this coming summer. And that idea that in 2016, the salary cap spike created so many bloated contracts, so much dead money where that creates imbalance and kind of anxiety in the market where I think teams look at first round picks all of a sudden and say, listen, we got a nice crop of young talent coming in and that matters. And then you got the cost certainty and the efficiency of those rookie contracts, which is greater than ever. So if you're going to put one on the table, at the trade deadline, like you said, you're dead on. Like there is a correlation between desperation level of the team sending one out and their willingness to do so. I mean, it's it's only in those unique circumstances where we saw first move, and I think you know that's got everything to do with why. All right, so the team that did send out a first round pick was Cleveland, and and they were as active as as any team, more active than every team in the league with what they did. Uh, six players from the Cavaliers and a first round draft pick go out. Four players in a heavily protected second-round draft pick uh, come in. We saw on Sunday a first look at the Cavs against one of their top contenders uh, in the Eastern Conference, a blowout win at Boston. That, I mean, we all know my position on Boston, Sam. I've, I've been very, very vocal in the past about the Celtics <laughs> getting past Cleveland and getting to the finals. On Sunday, I wrote a column where I did a bit of a 180, if you will, after watching <laughs> after watching the Cavs play. You you know these guys, you know a lot of Western Conference guys as well came over to Cleveland. What did you make of what the Cavs did at the deadline? First of all, I somehow missed the column. I got to go back and read it, and then I'm going to send you my bill for the the flight that you told me to book. You know, you said go ahead and book it. Cancellation you know, fees are low. The, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, they look great, man. It's only one game, and so the the sample size is as small as it gets. But I know we talked off air a little bit about this. It's not just how they looked in that one game. For me, it's a couple of things. I I do like the players. I don't care what team they're on. I like Jordan Clarkson. Um, You know, I like Rodney Hood. I like Larry Nance Jr. Uh, George Hill is a little bit of a question mark for me. I like George's career, and I like his game. I just I think even he would admit that he's got to get comfortable, and we'll see what version of George Hill we're going to get, um, but potentially another really good piece. And, and then I also like way better than before, the makeup now of the Cavs locker room when it comes to ego, when it comes to hierarchy and things of that nature. I feel like you get three 25-year-olds in Rodney, Larry, and Jordan uh, who, I mean, you talk about the eight-year age difference between them and LeBron James. These are officially young men who grew up idolizing LeBron when he was at his peak and making his, you know, his rise to the top of the NBA point being, they're just going to be soldiers for him. They're going to fall in line. They're going to be happy with the shots they get. It's going to be very different than the way it was with Isaiah Thomas coming off the peak of his career in Boston, where, you know, he had every reason to feel like, listen, LeBron, I'm not you. I get that, but I was an MVP candidate last year. And, you know, and so it's more tension, more 
conflict, I think, on the court and some off the court with the, the way it was made up before. So I like it, um, you know, and I think it was just a, an absolute home run for Kobe Altman. And, and interesting, too, Chris, I don't know how you saw this, the backdrop where I kept hearing that maybe Dan Gilbert stands pat. Maybe he's ready to say goodbye to LeBron. Maybe he's frustrated with the dynamic that has existed since he came back. And I couldn't have been more wrong. He green-lighted these moves that Kobe made, and even if LeBron leaves, you know, he, they're actually set up okay for the future. Yeah, I was I, I was hearing rumblings that, you know, I know LeBron came out and said, I'm not going to waive my no-trade clause. And there was a report from from uh, Shams that said that he wasn't going to trade it a day before that. I, I had even heard some rumblings that maybe they were hoping he'd come to them and, and say, I will waive right. my no-trade clause to, to Team X, Y, and Z if you can get a deal done. I never expected this kind of flurry of activity. But you, you have to give Kobe Altman a lot of credit. I mean, we were... Uh, you know, not not us in particular, but th- there was a lot of criticism of him out there over the last three weeks and four weeks. Some of it justified because of where this team was, but maybe Kobe Altman is in over his head here. Maybe this is, you know, where an experienced general manager uh, makes a bigger impact. But he went out there and he got guys that I think are going to be ideal fits alongside LeBron James. And Rodney Hood, I have been a Rodney Hood fan for the longest time. I, I never understood why Rodney Hood has been so underappreciated. In the draft, he was disrespected, went to 23rd after having a solid season at Duke. Uh, He's been a pretty consistent score. His health has been an issue. I get that. But when he's out there on the floor, like what he did against Boston, 3 of 6 from 3-point range, that's not an aberration. If you give him open looks, he is going to make those shots. And you brought up uh, George Hill, and you being out in the Bay Area, you got a better look at, at George Hill than I did during this season. We saw the numbers, the high three-point shooting numbers, but I always got the sense from talking to Kings people that you know George Hill felt like kind of a placeholder out there, that he was just kind of there to make sure that De'Aaron Fox had to earn minutes at the point guard position. There was not really an investment uh, in George Hill uh, or from George Hill with that team. What, what did you make of the way George Hill played, and is he capable of ratcheting it up to, at the very least, the level he played last season with the Utah Jazz? Well, that's the thing. If you're the Cavs and you want to have the glasses half full outlook on this thing, that's all you got to look at is what he did for Utah. Because before he had the toe injury in the playoffs, he was a really good player for the Jazz, playing at a high level with meaningful games. He's not that far removed from that. I have a hard time thinking that he's not capable of getting back to that level when he's fully engaged and he's in a different landscape. You know, the Sacramento thing, you can't forget the context there and the idea that to me, anytime a player sees his free agent market just simply not unfold the way that he was hoping going into free agency, and then making a move like the Kings won for George that to me was, you know, obviously pretty heavily financially motivated, where the money's running out, the Kings are willing to give you, you know, around $40 million guaranteed. It's three years, but the last year is not like a million dollars guaranteed. Um, and then you you get on board with their plan. Okay, what do you what do you guys want me to do? I'm going to be a mentor for Darren. Okay, sounds good. We'll we'll kind of work our way through that. But it wasn't like the Kings were a team that he was dying to play for going into free agency, and you know, and they were in a spot too. They wanted to. They had a cap to fill. They wanted to add some veterans. Um, here's my outlook. I mean, he didn't play that well. He didn't. You know, he he would rely on the three point shot in, in a strange kind of way at different times and, and people felt like he wasn't, he just wasn't playing his game, but his value was behind the scenes. I heard a, an interesting story about him where De'Aaron early in the season, you know, the coaching staff was trying to push him when it comes to his work ethic and his habits and trying to teach him how to be a pro. And like every team, they track practice activity and they had gone to him and, and essentially showed him the stark contrast between how hard, George Hill was working in practice compared to how hard De'Aaron was working early on. And they were able to send a message because of George's presence that, Hey, you know, how are you getting out worked by a 30 year old? You know, let's pick this thing up. And so there was value there, but, um, but now that, that kind of stuff doesn't matter. Now the Cavs need George to go out there and, and kind of man this thing, you know, running the offense. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I, I think if they have reasonable expectations for him, he's capable of meeting them. Like he's never going to be an up-tempo point guard. That's, Never what he's right. been. He, he wasn't in Indiana. The, the Jazz were one of the slowest teams in the league when, when he was there last season. But if you want a guy that is capable of executing the half court, George Hill is still that guy. If you want a guy that right. can, you know, you know 30, 38 to 40-something percent of the time make the open three-point shot, he's probably still 
uh, going to be that guy. I I, I right. do wonder what he's going to be defensively. His his defensive numbers were down um, in Sacramento. Uh, is he different in a reinvigorated situation? I guess I guess the argument, Sam, is that he can't be worse than what the the, the Cavs had defensively. I mean, there's no possible. I also way. think there's. For sure. And I also think there's an element of, you know, the rising tide that raises all ships when it comes to not just LeBron, but LeBron kind of reinvigorated and LeBron with these young guys around him and LeBron seemingly from just literally one game to the next before the trade and after the trade, you know, having that light bulb go off again. And it's like, Oh, that's the guy we haven't seen in a couple of weeks. You know, even though his numbers are still stellar, you know, we all know this was not the same engaged best player on the planet, LeBron James, that we you know are used to seeing. So I have a hard time thinking George is not going to get fired up because of that. Uh, I just think maybe it takes a little bit of time for him because, you know, again, they were rotating the vets in and out of the Kings lineup. They were even giving George and the other vets almost like if you worked at Safeway, you know, hey, your shift is going to be Wednesday and Friday and Saturday, <laughs> and then you don't play. Like they gave him the schedule two weeks in advance. You know, here's – when you can plan on playing, and here's roughly how long you can plan on playing. That's not the best environment to, for a guy to stay at his peak all the time. So I think maybe George has to get some of that rust off. I've never even heard of that before. I've, <laughs> I, I, I mean, like a team doing that. I've yeah. never heard of a team doing that. Like for a guy that I is haven't either. healthy. Yeah, and I, I mean, it does sound like they were all on board with the plan. I mean, it was a, a Dave Yeager production when it comes to you know, that, that approach, but the front office, you know, they, they felt like rather than leave these guys twisting in the wind and always wondering from night to night, what kind of time they would be looking at, they were going to just be super organized and pragmatic about it. And, and they went that route. Did you understand what Sacramento gets out of a deal besides unraveling some of the stuff that Scott Perry did, which look, I mean, uh, I like Scott Perry, but that was a priority for some people in that front office to kind of unravel some of the things he did there. I mean, they, they didn't really get anything in, in that deal. I mean, they buy out Joe Johnson, they get some cash to to cover that. I mean, was this just about getting off this contract for next season? It was about that, and it was about the fact, I mean, they've drafted so poorly that, unfortunately, and this is just hard to believe and fathom, is like they now find themselves in a spot where they have a logjam of young players, and they are having to make some tough decisions and look themselves in the mirror and realize that they just swung and missed on some of these guys. And so Papianis is at the head of that list. I know his agent was killing the organization and saying that, you know, it's more proof that something went wrong. He's wrong in that organization, but they clearly, you know, Papianis, they did not think uh, was worth the time and the money anymore. And, you know, I think Malachi Richardson, similar type thing. Now they, they free up minutes, they free up kind of the strategy and they, they cut some fat or perceived fat uh, around the edges and try to move forward with the young core. I mean, it was not real complicated beyond that. It was saving some of that cash, freeing up some space, and uh, and getting a little more narrow of a focus when it comes to who they're developing as far as the young guys. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping in America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true home run, and you'll have a ball. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this. They are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120 sleep night trial to ensure perfection and 120 night low price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. All right, so let me move it back to Cleveland then. Um, I, I, before we get to Golden State I, and how they, they, they match up now with this new group, I have, I've said I think they closed the gap pretty significantly uh, with Boston. In fact, I think they've they've surpassed Boston because of uh, the weapons they have out there. But one of the wild cards in, in all this, Sam, is Toronto, which as we speak is sitting there in first place in the, the Eastern Conference. Toronto's uh, offensive system has changed. They're much more free-flowing offensively, not isolation heavy, which I think is a credit to Dwayne Casey and and, and that uh, front office and organization and changing that and recognizing that was a problem and changing that. And they're getting huge contributions from 
from young guys. I mean, uh, Dylan Wright is playing really well for them. Fred Van Vliet is playing really well for them. I was at the Celtics-Raptors game last week, and, I mean, they came out and just punched Boston in the mouth. Like, they they were physical, and they looked like the better team uh, in that matchup. Is Tor- are we taking Toronto seriously right now after, you know, a couple of years of disappointments? I feel like I'm starting to, and, you know, I feel like if if I can, anybody can. I'm about as far geographically as anybody is to Toronto when it comes to NBA scribes. And, uh, you know, I, I think part of it is, listen, because they're not in the States, that networking-wise, programming-wise, we just don't see them with the frequency that we see some of the other top-tier teams as, as far as on TV. And everybody's got league pass in this league, but as far as showcase games and, and having that spotlight, the, the Raptors are not going to get it like everybody else. Uh, I heard a, an interview with our buddy Mark Spears recently where he was just going all in and, and buying the Raptors stock, and, and that kind of got my attention. And, and I think it's all with good reason because, you know, I understand why folks look at it and say, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, same old story, let's move on. But this is different. I mean, they've made a conscious choice organizationally to evolve when it comes to player development and to have the roster evolve along with the, the change in – kind of style and strategy, uh, you know, a lot more from three-point range, and that defense is still doing its thing. Dwayne Casey doing a great job. I mean, I think they're for real, and I'm a sucker for the simplistic stat and the reality of any team that's top five in offensive and defensive rating is a force to be reckoned with, and we are now sitting here coming up on that all-star break in mid-February with the Raptors being just that, you know, and they don't look timid like they did at different times in in big-time games. Um, you know, I'll believe it when I see it in April and May, but, but yeah, I think they look tremendous right now. And, uh, and I think we can't overlook them at all. There are two things that concern me, uh, with Toronto. One is that when they get to the playoffs, uh, when possessions become, you know, at a premium, do do they go back to that isolation heavy offense that, that, that failed in the postseason before does it, you know, it's, it's easy to run the regular season to some degree, not so much in the postseason. Do we wind up with you know DeRozan Lowry playing back and forth and and losing some of that that offensive versatility that they had? The other part is I love the young guys. I mean Wright has played extremely well. I mean you talk about guy you know the, the Kings missing in the draft. Uh, this this team in, in in a couple of respects has has hit with some of these picks. I mean Wright can clearly play as a backup point guard. Uh, Van Vliet wasn't even drafted. I mean he's someone that's been extremely good for them. Um, uh, and uh, Pascal, uh, what is it, Siakam out there is playing uh, playing really well for them as well. So I, I like those guys, but how do they play in, in the postseason? Are, are they the same type of players in their first real postseason experience as as, as key contributors? So I, that, that to me is the only question mark uh, with the Raptors. But let, let's assume for the sake of argument here that, that Cleveland comes out of the Eastern Conference once again. They beat Toronto, beat Boston, sure. Milwaukee, whatever. Uh, the moves that they made – does it create any kind of does it close any kind of gap that existed before the trade deadline with Golden State? Does it help them in a potential fourth matchup with Golden State? It's hard. I mean, I have a hard time taking too much from that one game that we've seen and applying it to the Warriors' question. But I think in general, no, no, just do it. Just extrapolate. Just yeah. extrapolate all the way. Just go all, go all in. I mean, there's no no danger. Let's do it. <laughs> Book it. We got Warriors, Cavs in the finals. I mean, I'm still picking the Warriors, Chris. I mean, obviously, uh, and, and probably by a healthy margin. But I will say this. It's not too hard to extrapolate that you go from oldest roster in the NBA, and more importantly, did the Cavs, like, I feel like anybody who barely watches the league could have looked at that team and said, oh, that's probably the oldest team in the NBA. They looked like it. And, and that was a problem. And now you've got young bucks with energy and versatility and that's the kind of thing that is going to give the Warriors problems. I think you can maybe have this debate in the context of the Rockets, where I didn't take the Rockets seriously in terms of their ability to scare the Warriors until they started adding some pieces around the margins, like P.J. Tucker, like Luke Mbamute, and similar thing. You're talking versatility uh, you know, and, and skill set that is it's complementary to you know, giving the Warriors a run. So I could see the Cavs being – engaged and entertaining and, and giving you know Golden State a run. I just want to see it in person. I, I forget. We're done with their matchups this year, aren't we? Uh, yeah, I already had the two. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I think from a scouting standpoint, I got to imagine that it's, it's kind of edge to the Cavs in that regard because the idea that Steve Kerr and his staff would have to take the floor 
you know, having not been able to really see how their personnel responds to what the Cavs have now would be an advantage for Cleveland. Uh, I just, it's a whole lot more interesting than before. Cause before I think you could have gone ahead and, and, you know, sent your letter to Vegas that it was going to be four or five, maximum six games, uh, the way they were constructed before they were in the finals. Yeah. In that, the hypothetical fourth matchup, um, a, a couple things. One, I think LeBron's ability to even be anything less than full ten out of ten LeBron is 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 considerably, you know, slimmed down. He has to be right. the, he has to be the best player on the floor for the entire forty eight minutes every single night. But if he is, you know, I I, I trust the Hill uh, Hood Clarkson combination to make open shots. I know it's going to be a big moment for them if they're back in the finals, a, a moment that you know none of those players that I mentioned have experienced. But I, I think they can make open shots better than you know the, the Iman Shumper, J.R. Smith, and, and whoever else they were throwing out there uh, at 100%. that time. So I, I think that, that closed it a little bit, but th- there's no Kyrie there. And, and we saw you know when, when the Cavs beat the Warriors, it was Kyrie making huge shots uh, for that team. It, I, it, it, to me, it comes down to Ken LeBron you know, be just the, the best player on the planet for, you know, seven games, 48 minutes a game against the team that can D you up. That's going to stick, you know, Durant, who's a high-level defensive player now. Draymond Green, maybe the best defensive player at his position. Can he be that guy over 48 minutes a game? I just I, I just don't know. I'm with you. And obviously, kind of the other elephant in the room is Kevin Love's status. And, and you know, how long, how much time did he have to get his game right? coming off his injury. You know, I'm with you on all that. I think also, though, another thing I would check in the Cavs' favor there is, don't you think if you're a young player, I mean, if you're Jordan, if you're Larry, if you're Rodney, uh, and you're looking at this thing, and even George, it's like, listen, we don't know what LeBron's doing this summer. Like, that's not really our concern. We can just go ball and have a good time. Like, in terms of pressure and expectation and vibe for that team in the playoffs, I kind of feel like it has now reached a point because of the roster moves where they've got the green light to just let the let just roll the dice to see what you can do. It's not the same situation where Jr. and all these other guys who you mentioned are going to have the baggage emotionally of the previous three matchups and that idea that that we already know we can't size up against this team. Like we have no sample size, we have nothing to compare it to. And if I was in their shoes, I would just go play ball. All right, hang on for just one second, Sam. I've got to tell my audience about a great new sponsor that we have here on the show, which is Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon, I promise you, and this isn't saying much because we're both scruffy reporters. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. It's better than whatever I'm wearing right now. They are a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. They believe in everything good in clothing. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, I wear lots of hoodies, sweatpants, always on planes, and more than you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. Microbial. That are naturally... <laughs> they have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally micro... Shut up, Lou. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. There we go. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. We'll keep it all this into the podcast read, by the way. All of it stays in. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. It's great for working out, going out, going on dates, just everyday life. Go over to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code MANIX. That's MacWeldon.com, 20% off using the promo code MANIX. Uh, all right, let me ask you about Boston here. Uh, the Celtics have not played really good basketball since the first of the year, really since the the London trip, which I thought was going to be a springboard to uh, to, to better things because the, their schedule stretched out a little bit. They played a lot of games before that London trip. They only played one in nine. I thought they'd catch a little bit of a break. Uh, you know, from my perspective, Sam, the the you know, something some guys have come kind of back down to earth a little bit. Um, that Jason Tatum's shooting has 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 dropped back off a, a meteoric sort of rise in the beginning. Uh, Marcus Smart's injury certainly hurt their defense. I mean, they're giving up a lot of points, especially early on. Uh, but the Celtics, Sam, were, were always kind of playing with fire all season long, and they were able to get away with it. I mean, they they fell behind by 12, 14, 16 points against really good teams. Like the Golden State game was 
an example of that. And they clawed their way back into it. Now they're doing the same thing. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Toronto punched them in the mouth. Indiana beat uh, uh, beat them before the Celtics, uh, you know, climbed back and eventually lost that one. Uh, after the second quarter on, it was all Cleveland. I mean, when you watch some some Boston games there, what do you see? No, I mean, the Jason Tatum thing is one. I love his game. And we do these rookie rankings every single week, and he's been in the top three. But the whole time that he was just shocking the world, you couldn't help but think, like you already said in the back of your mind, like, all right, this kid's going to come down to earth at some point. And you know, he's still going to wind up having a tremendous rookie season. But but that didn't seem like something. I mean, you know, I don't know if a rookie has ever led the NBA in three-point percentage, and he was on that pace before. The offense... I think about the Celtics in the context of the Cavs, and I think if we are going to consistently criticize the Cavs for their inability to have a top 20 defense, then, you know, in the history that comes with that and the idea that you can kind of unofficially take any team that doesn't have a top 20 defense, you know, off the list of potential title contenders, you know, inversely the same is true of the Celtics. And you're talking about now an offense that is 21st in the NBA and that's a major problem. I mean, yes, defense wins championships to an extent, but, you know, if they're looking, I mean, let's say they shock the world and they get to the finals. I mean, how in the world are you going to, I know that defense is locked down, but the Warriors are looking at you for the top five offense and defense. How are you going to score points against that defense considering you're struggling against the also Rams of the league? And, and I don't know, you know, I mean, do you see solutions here in terms of it's not going to be just Tatum having another uptick or one of these other guys. I mean, you know, have we already seen the best that Boston has to offer offensively, or is there something they can do here? Well, I think there are a couple things they can do. Uh, you know, Smart coming back, uh, you know, that, that's going to change their defensive identity, and he is uh, a rotation player with that second unit who runs hot and cold uh, with that jump shot. I think Greg Monroe is going to be eventually worked more into the mix in certain matchups, and that's going to increase their physicality. I think they are, are hopeful that Greg Monroe can be kind of an anchor for that uh, second unit in the post offensively, which is something they haven't had in Boston really during the, uh, the the Brad Stevens era. So if those things can can happen, I know, look, I think Tatum can can kind of crash through whatever sort of wall he's he's hitting nowadays. He still had some good games. He had a, a few bad ones after that London trip, but he's still putting some some good games together. The, the question Boston's going to ask itself, and, and and look, they couldn't get Joe Johnson in, in the buyout market. They couldn't get Marco Bellinelli. Um, you know, they, they, we don't know who at this point who else is going to be on that market over the next – you know, a couple of weeks, but you know they still need another body. I think for that second unit, they need somebody else to add to that right. mix uh, to be a scorer uh, there. And you know, it brings my next question: Should the Celtics have kind of gone for it this year? Should they have been more aggressive in dangling one of their still pretty, you know, stocked, you know, treasure chest, uh, treasure chest of first round picks to go get somebody that may turn out to be a rental, like a Tyreek Evans or, or somebody else? Yeah, I mean, I. The answer, I think, for for Tyreek and for Lou Williams, I would say yes. And I don't know what was on the table and what wasn't on the table, so, but but certainly I think across the league, folks are. I mean, I, you know, it's not real complicated. If there were first on the table, uh, Tyreek is gone. I just don't. I think that's fair to say. And then with Lou, I, I mean, Lou did want to be in LA, so I don't know. Maybe maybe the extension was something that, you know, that kind of took precedence over them chasing the first-round pick all the way until the end. But those two guys, if you put them on the Celtics roster, uh, I would feel a whole lot better about what they're bringing to the table offensively because when you're talking about the fact that sometimes they're ISO heavy and that's going to be their their identity, you know, okay, let's just go all in on that and have uh, one more weapon, a guy, who can go get you a bucket and and change up the looks and take a little bit of pressure off Jalen Brown, off Tatum, off Marcus when he comes back and not have Kyrie have to be Superman. You know, the way that Tyreek scores is it's just, it's you know, you, he doesn't need to be in a system. Tyreek just goes and gets buckets. He can spin his way through the lane. We've been seeing it for years. He's playing the best ball of his life, really, since he was the rookie of the year. And then with Lou, you know, I mean, Lou is the one. I still think we're sleeping on how great of a year he has had. This guy mm-hmm. can score in any spot on the floor, over anybody, any situation. And, and he would have been a weapon. That I think, yeah, if I was in Danny Andrews' shoes, I think I probably would have put the first on the table. Especially since since Williams resigned that that deal. Now I, I don't know every sort of angle in in those those negotiations with the Clippers, but you know I, I think Boston would have loved to get Lou Williams' name on a contract for a couple of years, the same type of deal yeah. that that the that the Clippers uh, got him to. But you're right, I, I don't know. You know, Lou Williams likes being in L.A., and, and I don't know if he would have been 
as amenable to signing the type of contract that he did with the Clippers in Boston. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't have, but that's something I, uh, if I was the Celtics, I would have gone a little deeper in it if Lou Williams had been willing to uh, to re-sign. Tyreek Evans a little bit different. I, I think Memphis blew this one. I do, because I, I think they're going to have a lot of problems bringing him back. Uh, the, the the cap restraints, you know, kind of are out there. We kind of know what they are at this point. And I, I thought, from what I heard, you know, Boston... You know, Boston offered a lot of different variations for for Tyreek Evans. In fact, I think one of their offers was some form of of you know kind of a win the press conference type of deal for the Grizzlies, where they could have it would have been a first round pick that they would have received if they their second round pick was within a certain amount of picks of of that Boston's first. So they could have flipped uh, the rights there, and they could have won the press conference and said we got a first round pick for for Tyreek Evans, even though maybe it, right. it might not have been in a deal like that. But now there's they're they're keeping this guy and not only is do they not get anything of value back for him, he, he's gonna help him win games. And they don't want to win games right now right. in Memphis. Like that's right. It's it's kind of a double whammy there. And especially if he walks at the end of the year uh for nothing. But everything Boston does, Sam, and you know this, everything Boston does is under the backdrop of kind of still hoping that Anthony Davis becomes available. I know people in New Orleans yep. hate to hear this, but Boston right. clings to these first round picks because they're wondering if it's Dell Demps, if it's somebody else running that team in the next right. six to eight months, that that GM says, all right, we've got to you know auction this guy off. And when they do, the Celtics want to have every single one of those draft picks in their 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 pocket, uh, ready to go. Yep, I can't blame them for that. I mean, and, you know, we're we're looking at the short view, and we're looking at the here and the now, and and, and that's legitimate, right? Because they are a championship contender, and so only time will tell if we look back at this time and say. Who knows? If they would have gone the extra mile to get a guy like Tyreek, does that help them in the playoffs? But the the bigger picture and that dream scenario of AD coming to Boston, you know, I, I would be up at night dreaming about that if I was Danny. And mm-hmm. not only that, it's just that idea. I love that this subplot is now becoming an East-West kind of thing because out my way, you know, Tim Kawakami of The Athletic is the one who's been banging this drum the most and writing a lot about how the Warriors, kind of like the Celtics, are, are trying to stay a couple years ahead think ahead and they've got Anthony on their board just like Boston does and they have the same type of dreams so I mean that situation is not going away and, and Boston has the blueprint we've seen it a couple of times now on how to make this thing happen with the big three back in the day you know getting Ray and KG and Paul together and then bringing Kyrie to town I mean that's how the sausage gets made you have as many picks as possible and help a team set itself up for the future when they lose a star player you know, that's how you end up winning that trade. Yeah, so I can't blame the Celtics for, for not making a, a short-term deal that, that maybe would have helped them get to the finals where they would have been, as you said, probably you know, pretty badly beaten uh, by Golden State. But, you know, if it comes up that they wind up a first-round pick short to being, of, of being able to acquire Anthony Davis, it's just, it's just not worth it. All right, I want to ask you about this Rookie of the Year race. And, you know, both of us have done a lot of radio in Utah. We, we, we do stuff out there, and... <laughs> <laughs> Every time I go on there, Sam, I'm getting beat up pretty good either on either on during the interviews, in, in fact, or on social media afterwards for for not having Donovan Mitchell higher on my board. Donovan Mitchell continues to impress. I mean, the the streak the Jazz are on uh, right now, he is spearheading uh, a lot of it. Um, give give me right now your All Star break Rookie of the Year uh, uh, ballot. So good timing, good timing, and we have a weekly rookie rankings okay uh that we do at our place and i'm happy to announce for the jazz fans and and, you know we'll make sure our buddies in utah gordon Mm -hmm. and spencer and austin hear this that uh first time all year i've got donovan number one no you pander and you pander (laughs) i do indeed although now i'm struggling as i go through my email to try to get my complete top five here uh certainly ben simmons number two i got your boy mr tatum Mm. Four, I got Markin and uh, I'm sorry, Tatum three, Markin and four, and De'Aaron Fox five mm. was how I filed it this week. Five is debatable. We probably won't even get that deep. But Donovan, man, I, I mean, listen, full disclosure, like I'm going to probably do some jazz stuff here coming up. And so you know how it is, Chris, when you have something on your radar and you kind of engage and tune into a certain team a little more than normal. So last night, you know, I'm all in on that San Antonio game and I'm watching that thing. And I admittedly, I'm finding myself rooting for the Jazz because it just makes for a little bit of a better story. They could win 10 in a row. But man, like the way they fell behind late and the way that even on a night when Donovan 
was not sharp from the field. He had a bad shooting night that he just made the big plays when they mattered most. I mean, I continue to be impressed by this kid. He's incredible. And he's got it on both ends at different times. You know, that one sequence I'm sure you saw where, I mean, I forget who he stripped, but he had a huge steal late. And uh, the the only odd part was, I don't know why he laid it up on the other end. He's a high flyer, (laughs) but he laid it up, got that bucket, you know, and then he hits that mid-range shot to unofficially seal it. Uh, He's special. And he's a guy who you're talking about, what is it? Six, I guess, eight months removed from Gordon Hayward leaving the Jazz and, you know, behind. And Donovan is is quickly making him forget, you know, what was behind him. Yeah, and... I mean, I I have put him at, at at third for most of the season for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, what Ben Simmons can do is, is unbelievable. Like he he has a range of like ten feet, but he's he's able to to create and and do some special things. He's a you know sixteen eight and eight type of guy on a team that's that's in the fight now for the playoffs in Eastern Conference. And I've had Tatum at number two for a while, and his numbers are not what Donovan Mitchell's are, but I've given Tatum a lot of credit because he's doing it on a team that's number one in the Eastern Conference. He's doing it in a role that I don't think he ever anticipated playing at the start of the season. I mean, he was in that kind of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward uh, you know, mix there, but he stepped into that role and he's making huge shots for them in the fourth quarter. And I give him, I count that. I, I add that to the, uh, uh, to to the mix there, but but I'm with you on Mitchell. Like he, you know, before the end of this season, he could climb all the way up to number one on my board. He absolutely can. I, I don't know. It's like with Kyle Kuzma, right? I don't know what what we missed about him. Like Kuzma, I kind of know because Kuzma never shot shot the ball this well when he was uh, when he was in college. Yeah. You know, Donovan Mitchell. I don't know what we missed here. I don't know what was. I mean, what, you saw him at summer league. Like you could see the makings of, and you didn't know if he was a point guard or a two. Or you, you, but that's the kind of stuff. It's not that big a deal. But you could see the makings of a high-level defensive player who had offensive skills that were coming rapidly. And and they're there. Like, those offensive skills have kind of burst out over these last couple of months. I, I do think he's a, you know, I think how the Jazz finish the season is going to impact some voters. And I think I say that because I think it'll impact me to some degree. But sure. I, I think he's got a great chance to win the award. Yeah. I mean, to that last point, you know, like, we have a little party of four voters on our rookie rankings and I gave the other three guys a hard time because I think I was the only guy who voted for Donovan so in that respect that would not bode well for him if this was any kind of symbolic representation of of the voting class like if you're not voting for Donovan on a 10 game winning streak when he did what he did last night I don't know when you are but one thing you know I've tried to pay real close attention to his efficiency because I am a sucker for I mean I do care about efficient basketball And at different times, he has not been efficient whatsoever. But he's reached a point where you talk about kind of transcendent impact on an organization. And not to sound like a typical writer, but like the non-quantifiable thing that happens when a special player captivates a city, which is what's happening in Salt Lake City right now. I mean, that post-game interview after that win over the Spurs was pretty neat stuff. He's Mm -hmm. looking around the arena, talking about how it's the loudest he's ever heard it. You know, it, it gets you kind of to sit up in your seat a little bit and pay attention. But it, in terms of the numbers and the static stuff, like he's officially reached the point in terms of that area. He's James Harden category. He's basically got the same percentages across the board as James does this season. Uh, you know, obviously coming in a whole lot fewer, you know, 19 points a game. But he's he's gotten enough. I guess I'm trying to say he's gotten better enough in that department that I feel better about it. And he's special. And I'm also, Chris, I'm listening to the player community. I know that sounds funny, but I, I try to be humble about this thing where you know, like, we haven't played the game at a high level. So when you have NBA stars left and right, all of a sudden going out of their way to say Donovan Mitchell, rookie of the year, you know, that gets my attention too. Yeah, I'm with you. And and look, this is kind of an opportune time to, to point out that once again, Quinn Snyder continues to showcase his yeah. skills, one of the best developmental coach in basketball. I mean, Dennis Lindsay. Uh, a product of that Spurs organization is doing what the Spurs have done for years, which is hit on these picks that aren't kind of the the top five blue chip type of prospects. He's identifying the talent. He's done it time and again, and this is another example of it. But, you know, guys come in there, and, and whatever it is about Quinn Snyder, he, he just sort of grabs these guys and, and just pulls the best out of them. And, and, and you know, I know right. that, that they that the system is, is excellent out there, but... You know, having a player development coach like a Quinn Snyder with the Jazz, I think Kenny Atkinson is the exact same way, kind of that same cloth in um, in Brooklyn. But having a coach like Quinn Snyder is is so valuable to the Jazz. I mean, there's no way that Utah should be sitting here right now in the playoff chase, given the defection None. of Gordon Hayward 
and the losses and the injuries they've suffered over the course of the season. There is no right. way on earth that they should be where they are right now. But the fact that they are, I think, is of course due to the players. But Quinn Snyder and how he's coached this team is remarkable. You're right. I think that we could do a whole Coach of the Year podcast. You know, someone asked yeah. me the other day about Coach of the Year, and I actually had brought up Brad Stevens, done a great job. Yeah. You know, and, and similar where it's like, all right, you know, you lose Gordon out there and you do what you're doing. But that's the theme here, right? Like coaches who flourished in spite of losing Gordon Hayward. And Quinn has been tremendous. I mean, I, I'm looking at the standings here. I don't know how you feel about it, but if you're handicapping this thing, you know, the Pelicans are trying to limp to the finish line without DeMarcus Cousins. Hold on to that spot. I mean, Utah, as we sit here talking, is only a game and a half out of the eighth spot. And they look like a team that's just going to keep rising. And with Quinn... So, I mean, you talk about the young guys and the development. I mean, I heard a story the other day from a Utah person that got my attention where it was Joe Ingles, a guy who's been in the league a long time. And the idea that, you know, he spent years and years and years never going to the rim. And next thing you know, like he's developing a floater and having facets of his game that just weren't there before. And even an old guy like that is benefiting from the environment that they're playing in. And you see the improvement across the board. And then it's kind of neat when you see it all come together in games like it did last night. Yeah, no question. So there you go, Utah. Two people that do radio for you out, guys out there <laughs> are, are you know fully supportive of Donovan Mitchell. Okay, everybody, just calm down and get off my freaking get off my freaking Twitter. This is gonna make their day, man. I can't uh, wait man. to they're, hear the reaction. They're angry. I am like you know Donovan Mitchell doesn't know me from Adam, but if he's reading his Twitter mentions, it's me and him and like alongside each other with Maddox saying you're not <laughs> number one. I mean, it's it's unreal. Uh, all right, let me um, let me finish with this, uh, and, and I hate to even go down this rabbit hole again. But Levar Ball strikes again. Uh, he's over in Lithuania, yep. and he's oh god, he, he's he's commented to a Lithuanian reporter, and I'll just paraphrase here because it's a lot of stuff that he said uh, the other day. But he's basically saying that if the Lakers or any NBA team does you know, does not sign or draft Leangelo Ball and eventually take on Lamelo Ball, they will not have the services of Lonzo Ball now. Lavar's timeline, first of all, is completely fucked up. Like it is a, a right. it is totally a mess. Like it's he he thinks that Lonzo's gonna have any type of flexibility in two years. He's not. I mean, the Lakers have him for the next three years. Then it's restricted free agency, right? I think that's the the um, I think that's the timeline for for Lonzo. Anyway, yeah, I mean, he could sign. You know, he could do an extension in two summers, or could. I guess three summers. But until that, until he's so, until he's able yeah. to 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 disappear on his own, hit unrestricted free agency, it's gonna be a while, um, and a lot right. of decisions for for Alonzo Ball. This is, I mean, LeVar Ball said some dumb stuff. This is right up there. Like, I, I, that he would think a team would give a, a real roster spot to LeAngelo Ball and a team like the Lakers is insane to me. Now, I know we've seen, you know, Chris Smith with the with New York, and, and there's been some some example, like Drogic's brother has, has, has played with him there, but, you know, these guys yeah. were, were at least kind of fringe-ish NBA prospects. I have yet to meet someone, Sam, in the NBA that's told me they think Leangelo is is a bona fide NBA prospect. I think that he goes undrafted in this upcoming draft, and I don't know where he'd play. I think he's either back in Lithuania or playing in China. Right. Maybe not China, actually. Take right. that back. Um, or playing overseas somewhere. I, I don't I don't see how Lavar's spin there is is remotely possible. I'm with you 100%. I mean, the the book on both those guys, as you know, is that Leangelo has already been labeled a non-NBA player uh, for the most part, like unofficially. And then LaMelo, you know, you hear everybody say he's the better player and there's some promise there. We'll see how he looks in a couple of years. But, you know, I'm trying to think to your point about different examples of questionable roster spot selections. Um, You mentioned a couple of good ones. You know, this one comes to mind. It's somewhat recent. You know, like Bobby Brown has been a, a highly productive player overseas for a long, long time in China. I mean, on a completely different level than any of the other two Ball brothers. And, and so he has been with the Rockets for most of this season. And But you also hear that it doesn't hurt, that he's very close friends with Chris Paul and James Harden and Trevor Ariza. So you will see those kinds of personal dynamics come in. And, and even this week, you know, the Rockets out is the classy move. They made a decision that they had re-signed him, and then they end up giving him his money for the rest of the year, but even though they cut him loose because they wanted that roster spot. Um, to your, I mean, this is not happening. LeVar sounds like a crazy person who is getting more and more, you know, concerned about his grand plan. And not only that, I would agree with Chris Broussard, who tweeted yesterday and for Fox Sports 1, 
that he's going to mess around, I think it was Chris, and, and get Lonzo traded. I mean, not, I'm not talking now. This is not me reporting that this is something I'm hearing, you know, going into this summer or something. But at some point, the noise is reaching a point where it is counterproductive for the Lakers, and they can't control how does it make LeBron James look at the Lakers? How does it make Paul George look at the Lakers? Um, you know, I was talking to someone today about the Paul George situation and about how, you know, conceivably the Lakers could have traded for Paul if they put either Brandon Ingram or the number two pick on the table, you know, back whenever that was. You, a part of me wonders, like, in Magic Johnson's heart of hearts and Rob Palenka, is there any part of them that wishes they had done that and avoided this headache? Because Lonzo's not, he's not even healthy. He hasn't played in a month. And when he played, he's not the kind of player who gets older guys excited. Uh, I mean, sure, he's passed first, and that's great. Guys love that. But he's not had a good rookie year. And then on top of that, LeVar is trying to steal every headline that is out there. And, you know, I think ego's getting away, and it's just a terrible look for the organization. Yeah, and, and look, if if you're LiAngelo, like, let's say the Lakers even acquiesced to this, which they won't. But let's say the Lakers even acquiesced and gave him a roster spot next year. You would be the most hated guy in the locker room because guys would look right. around and say, you've earned nothing. You're here because your brother is here. And that stuff you resonates. You could talk to Austin Rivers about that dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> it, it you know doesn't, what I mean? Yeah. Like, 100%. I mean, it's, I would love, this is when I, I, I you know, we enjoy telling good stories and, and you like it when people are real with you and you get good material. Like, I would, I would be a very happy man if Magic or Rob, for some stupid reason, were willing to actually share their thoughts publicly on this topic. They never will because they're smart guys. And they know that would not be helpful. But I would just love to know exactly what those guys are thinking after LeVar's latest comment. Yeah, it's got to be. I'll tell you what. Um, Luke Walton has done a fantastic job with all this. Luke Walton's had to deal yeah. with, with so much crap this year because of LeVar Ball. And, he, and look, and he had to deal with a, a group of players, a, a, a locker room, that outside of a handful of them really didn't didn't show up for work thinking they had any equity in the team. I mean, Clarkson and Randall probably spent the last two months waiting to get traded. You know, other guys know they're they're there for their cap flexibility as much as their play. And here we are, you know, with the Lakers. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they're as close to making the playoffs as they are the bottom of the Western Conference standings. Uh, and a lot of that's Luke Walton. I mean, as of, you know, as of a couple of games ago, they had won 8 out of 10. And a lot of that's him just sort of keeping things even keel within this team and keeping the culture right. That's not easy for for any coach to do, much less a guy with, with the limited experience that Luke Walton has. For sure. I was just cheating and looking at Lonzo's game log. I mean, this part hadn't been talked about that much either. Like, what does it mean with Lonzo being such a major part of their program and their plan? What does it mean that, you know, he, they're 8-5 and five since he's been out? He's yeah. been out for a month, and they are a winning basketball team. I mean, what does that do to LeVar's voice and kind of, you know, his, uh, his place within this whole story? What does it do... This to me, Chris, fast forward a couple of weeks, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of hope this happens because I think it would be entertaining. Like, don't be shocked if your buddy and, and a guy who I like a lot, you, you know, from Boston, Isaiah Thomas, comes in there. His whole life has been knocking people out of the way that nobody thought he could knock out of the way. And I'm not trying to say Lonzo's time with the Lakers is going to come to an end, but Isaiah might go out and ball mm-hmm. to the point where, no pun intended, where it creates a new dynamic where, A, you got a player in Isaiah who's trying to get his money this summer, and it's a desperate time for him for a lot of different reasons, and you got a player in Isaiah who has never met a microphone he didn't like, at least in terms of being candid. And so, I mean, I'm assuming at some point LeVar is going to say something about Isaiah, and Isaiah is not even going to hesitate to clap back, and we're going to have ourselves, you know, even more chatter in Lakerland. Uh, I mean, this could get interesting down the stretch. Yeah, especially if Isaiah's on the floor in the fourth quarter, as he's been for so long, uh, you know, with the Celtics, and, and it's he's coming at the expense of, of Lonzo. I don't think LeVar knows how to keep his mouth shut in a situation like that. And you mentioned Isaiah. The, the desperation for Isaiah Thomas, and, and, and maybe he doesn't think this way, but he probably should, the desperation for Isaiah Thomas has to be kind of at an all-time high here because he's got to look at the Lakers as – as maybe his last stand, you know, I, I don't know, Sam, like, you know, teams that are out there with cap space next summer, they're not chasing right. Isaiah Thomas. Like Chicago's not going right. to get him. Um, you know, you look at Atlanta, they're not going to go to get him. Uh, Dallas is not going to go right. to get him. Phoenix is, they just traded him. They're not going to go to go, to go and get him. I mean, the Lakers are the team 
that if they strike out on LeBron, they don't get Paul George, they've all of a sudden get cap space. So if Isaiah goes and plays at a really high level the next couple of months and they win some games and they wind up, you know, not at 500, but close inching towards uh, 500 before the end of the season, I think the Lakers would consider him. I mean, like he's he's got kind of that L.A. sort of that that big city type of feel For to sure. him. That if he can get that get his mojo back, uh, th- this could be more than just a short term rental for in, in L.A. Listen, he did like a three or four minute media session yesterday that the Lakers tweeted out from their official account. Yeah. That I had re- I retweeted it. Like if you go look at it, like there's a lot to be learned from his candid session. Like he said things like respectfully that I'm not here to play, you know, second fiddle, and I'm paraphrasing, but to pay, play second fiddle to anybody. He made a comment that stuck in my head about how I'm going to go do what I've done every time I've been moved, which is to go, uh, he made a I think it was like Capavita City, or like this is his mentality. He wants to take over L.A. He grew up a Lakers fan, even though he was in the Northwest. You know, his pops was a Lakers fan, I think grew up in Inglewood. Uh, that's the family background. Uh, you know, this is not the ideal way for his Lakers tenure to begin. This is not the dream that he had years ago. But, again, don't sleep on Isaiah's competitive will. And I hope his body, you know, allows him to play at his best because I got vivid memories, Chris, of Sacramento days. They championed Jimmer for dad as the golden boy. And Isaiah came in there like a bull in a china shop, mm-hmm. 60th pick in the draft, stole that job. Gets to Phoenix. I had a, one of my favorite – interviews ever with a guy I walk in the son's locker room I see Isaiah right after the trade I said hey I'm doing a a piece on six man and like the stigma attached to that role and he gives me this on record interview where he flat out was like well I don't plan on being one for very long like I'm 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 trying to be a starter like he doesn't care he goes in and knocks out you know knocks guys out of his way that's the way he's wired and then the question I think if that did happen would become who the heck knows if if they have an entertaining guy in IT as a short-term solution as they wait for guys like LeBron and Paul. And if Lonzo and his dad keep, you know, giving them these kinds of headaches all along the way, I mean, who knows what the ripple effect might be. Isaiah just turned 29 years old, so it's not like he's he's past his prime or anything like that. I mean, this is, if right. he can get that body right, the hip's a big question because that's, whenever I talk to teams about it, they, like, they need to take a deep dive on that hip before they consider giving him any real money uh, in the offseason. Right. But if he can figure some things out, I'm with you. This, this could be a... This could be the right fit uh, for Isaiah Thomas. Uh, Sam, always appreciate it, man. Uh, Great stuff. And uh, we'll see you in uh, Southern California, where I feel like we should tell the audience you made the rookie move of uh, of not booking the proper hotel. I mean, you should know where to stay out there. I know, man. I know. I know Manhattan Beach is the place to be. I had to be a team player. We have a couple guys from our company coming out. They're all going to be downtown. I'm a little bit jealous because I, I don't want to out people on where you're staying, but that hotel you're going to, I think they just got refurbished. They and did. I'm sure it's pretty, pretty fancy. So I'm looking forward to hearing about you it. You just like, I mean, I think you just like the free booze in the hostility room down there. <laughs> did you just call it the hostility room? Yeah, Jack. I think that was uh, uh, Jake. Jack McCallum was the first one to coin that phrase. Where there's a lot of hostility in that media hospitality room. You know, he's so right. God, now I don't want to go at all. That's kind of true. Like I love seeing old friends, but it's also like, God, my editor did this. Yes. And can you believe what's happening with our industry? It's, it is a little bit negative sometimes. Good stuff, Sam. I'll see you out in LA. Thanks for joining me. All right, brother. Thanks, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks to everybody for joining in. Thanks to my guest. And as always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 
Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.